Springtime, a time of pretty flowers, buzzing bees, chirping birdies, and oh yeah, one more thing. A deadly disease that moves with face-kicking speed, contaminating everything in its path, including our town. You don't have to be a math genius to figure out that the chance I had of getting Miss Fingerwood to like me was about 950 million to one. Welcome to Splat Attack, a 90s podcast overflowing into the slime-filled past. I'm your lovesick older brother, Brett. And I'm your lovesick, contaminated little brother, Alex. And Brett! Yes, Alex? What are we doing in Wellsville for Valentine's Day today? Well, Alex... This is an episode battle I've been dying to do to round out the Pete and Pete episode battle trilogy we've got going on. Uh, First we did the summer one, and then we did one for fall with Back to School, and now we're back for spring practically, or at least Valentine's Day. And and considering Wellsville is is one of our most favorite places to visit, we don't mind being back here for a third time. Uh, But just to clarify, no, we're not doing just Pete and Pete for this particular show format. Later this season, we'll be applying this same episode battle to another live-action Nickelodeon show, along with Nicktoons to see how it handles. So if you want more variety with this type of episode episode format, hang tight. We'll, We'll get there. Indeed, yeah. We also did an episode review of New Year's Pete way back in season one, episode mm-hmm. 12. And uh, we have intentions to apply Pete and Pete to more of our show formats as the podcast keeps chugging along, including a retrospective since we missed the 30th anniversary. So uh, don't be dismayed. Definitely look out for that in the coming seasons because um, we're always just trying out different formats of different shows to provide the maximum amount of variety as possible for all you Slimesters. Who is going to be joining us? Well, uh, I think, you know, since we're in the middle of the street in our typical Wellsville suburban uh, block, (laughs) uh, I think I see them approaching us now in the distance. And it looks like they're wearing one of those yellow hazmat suits that I also saw in New Year's Pete's. You know, no doubt to protect them from all the lovesickness that's going around. Uh, Let let me see who's through that plastic visor. Hmm. Crosswind. uh, I'll get it. Oh, oh wow, it's Allie. Wow. <laughs> welcome welcome back to Wellsville, Allie. How are you doing? It's it's been a hot minute. Well, chirpity chirpity chee. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Good indeed. to be back. I feel like Ned Flanders when I say that. Hi, diddly ho there, neighborinos. <laughs> I'm pretty uh, sure Eunice Pule is from the Ned Flanders family tree. Yeah, some, she some must extended be yes. branch. Uh, I, it's <laughs> It's good to be back. Uh, I'm very glad and honored to be back in Wellsville as well. I even have my uh, blowholes t-shirt. Oh, awesome. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I made it myself. It's on uh, my Krebstar Industries Instagram. You can get one yourself if you want one. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I always always love seeing what kind of uh, Kreb products you come up with on your Instagram page, Ellie. <laughs> it's, it's just a ton of fun. Yeah, thank you. I have a blast with it. Um, and I'm excited to get back into it for this year. We're now 30 years away from season one, technically, oh, so right? So, yeah. yeah, so I'm excited for the year to come in 2023. 
Well, I, I hope you brought your love gun and plenty of anti-love repellent, uh, because it's time for us to suit up and defend our episodes. So let the battle begin. We, we have already established that, yes, we're going to be doing two Pete and Pete episodes today, and Ali is going to be our amazing judge. Uh, so, Brett, what episode will you be defending? Uh, I will be defending Valentine's Day Massacre um, with the little sword emblem over there on the offense. And uh, what are you going to be defending, Alex? Uh, I am going to be defending Crisis in the Love Zone by... The shield in one of these corners. Uh, uh, On Pete's uh, one... face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right here. Yeah, <laughs> to, to hide his his uh, disgruntled expression. <laughs> it's too hideous. Oh, I think I'm getting the love sickness now. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we go into our categories and what all we're going to be talking about, uh, Brett, give us uh, some of the descriptions of your episode. When did it come out and all that jazz? Yeah, this is an interesting one because we, we briefly touched upon it at the end of our previous episode, uh, Favorite Nick Pilots, and it is uh, season zero or, you know, the specials era before they get into the first mm -hmm. season technically, and it's episode one. So it's like the first of the five specials, and its original air date is February 9th, 1991, directed by the great Catherine Diekman and written by Will McRobb. And Crisis in the Love Zone. This was from Season 3, Episode 6. Uh, this aired on March 23rd, 1996. Also directed by Catherine Diekman. Also written by Will McRobb. But also you have uh, David Hemmingson and M.F. Stern. And Allie, would you mind running through the categories that we are going to be focusing on for this episode battle? Absolutely. Yeah, we got two love of centered episodes here today and so you will be arguing first our story i love you know what is the better story of these two we're also uh highlighting a main character from each episode um we'll be talking of course the citizens of wellsville who are so important to the show <laughs> itself um last two categories use of the love theme we have going on how well did your episode use that intended theme and Last category should be the most interesting one. Why is your Pete more lovesick? Because you each get a Pete that is in their own world of love. That is very true, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how we uh, defend their their condition. <laughs> well, take it away, Allie. I think we're uh, ready to begin and uh, duke it out with our weapons of war. Um, well, cool. I you know I think it makes sense to start with story, and you know I think what I'm looking for in this category. You're already there. You're going to be discussing a lot of love subjects. So I think for the best judgment of this category, simply why is your episode the better of story in general? I guess I will begin since my episode is first chronologically. <laughs> uh, so Valentine's Day Massacre, uh, I think, is a really classic kind of tale of a kid falling in love with their teacher. Uh, but it doesn't it doesn't just boil down to that. There's a lot more layers involved, especially with how friendship uh, dynamics and like relations to other characters that we see a lot featured in this episode in particular change. 
Uh, so when what happens how this this ball gets rolling through the plot is that when Big P accidentally kills the school mascot with a miscalculated discus throw on the school football field, uh, he, Ellen, and Little Pete must keep the unfortunate murderer secret from the school groundskeeper, who is Mr. Beverly. Meanwhile, Big Pete develops a crush on his math teacher, who's Mrs. Fingerwood, and it causes tensions to rise between him and Ellen, uh, while also attracting the attention of a local bully for the episode who's named Open Face and his posse to blackmail Big Pete to obtain the fighting squid and command the student body with it. So through a roller coaster of romantic feelings, Big Pete must grapple with who he cares about more, uh, his teacher or his best friend. It's very delicate balance here. And it all comes down to a heartfelt head when Big Pete faces open face on the 50-yard line on the football field where he actually admits to his wrongdoing from the beginning of the episode that started the whole mess. And surprisingly, you know, he was vindicated from his guilt. Mr. Beverly forgave him and, uh, you know, somehow through the process, he fell in love with Mrs. Fingerwood. And then when he actually had time to spend with Mrs. Fingerwood, uh, like in the classroom together, he realized that maybe she's not exactly chalked up to what he had of the idea of her in his mind. You know, she's really into math and he isn't quite so much, but he tries to, you know, get on her level. And, you know, that really makes him question his relationship with Ellen in this episode, because we don't really see any romantic feelings built up uh, between them, not quite yet anyways. Uh, we see more evidence of that later in the series. But here it's just like the test of a true friendship and what happens when a woman gets in the middle of it. So, you know, there, there's a lot of hurt feelings here and Ellen ends up being manipulated by open face so that uh, she can spill the beans to him on the secret that him, that her, Big P and Little P are kind of keeping to themselves in regards to the squid. And, you know, open face is just kind of out for himself and just, this is just a big scheme to, you know, gain control over other people at school. Luckily, it doesn't, it doesn't go through. And by Pete being bold enough to admit his fault, um, you know, he's forgiven and things just kind of iron themselves out. Big P is back with Ellen. Uh, Mrs. Fingerwood takes an interest in Mr. Beverly, especially after he shows her that beautiful, well-calculated display of a heart being painted on the, on the football field right at the 50-yard line. And, you know, they get a nice little plaque for Edna and they pay their respects to, to the Fighting Squid school mascot. So it's, it's a very sweet, charming episode, has some classic tropes in it with bullying and crushes on teachers and all. And I just really love how it sets the stage for Pete and Pete to come because we see a lot of the, the quirkiness that we know and love from Wellsville that's evident in, in the character interactions here. Alex, I'd love to hear your argument and then I might have a follow-up question here. All right. Well, for Crisis in the Lev Zone, uh, <laughs> it's essentially a giant Twitter-pated episode, uh, as they say on Bambi. Um, the episode, uh, well, not going to get too much into characters themselves just yet, but the main thing is it's spring fever and 
Nona and Little Pete are are actively trying to stay away because everyone in Wellsville is getting affected by spring fever. We see all kinds of couples getting together, and it's it's gross. I mean, they, they take the romance to the uh, level eleven. You know, wiping the milk off of somebody else's mustache and <laughs> things like that. But uh, everyone's affected by it. Even the characters who normally wouldn't see in love are are affected by this. So Little Pete's trying to stay away. Little Pete gets contaminated. And the main episode focuses... Uh, there, there's, there's two... There's an A story and a B story. The A story focuses on Nona and Little Pete, where she is trying to constantly find a way to break Little Pete from spring fever. And the B story is Big Pete trying to get in on probably outside of Nona, the only other character who is not affected by spring fever, uh, Heather over at the tennis courts. And he is fawning over her and she wants nothing to do with him. Uh, quite literally tells him, uh, quit breathing my air. Uh, and, uh, he's trying to have Ellen help <laughs> overshoot the tennis ball. So he has to go get it and bring it to her. And uh, at, for a, a good chunk of the episode, these two stories are going their own different directions. And um, then during the le, le, the second half of the episode, they very much cross over uh, where now Nona has to go to Big Pete to get his assistance to break Little Pete from being contaminated. But he himself is contaminated, so that's not going to work. And uh, Ellen ends up falling for Big Pete, and she writes a love note, and she gives it, she has it mailed to uh, the Wrigley's home, but Little Pete thinks it's his, uh, which is from who he's been infected by, the mail carrier uh our second mail carrier uh, romance episode uh but uh now he thinks that she's the one who wrote the love note and now he's going to respond back and uh little uh big pete ends up uh ellen is upset with big pete because he didn't get the letter but she doesn't know that he she just thinks he's ignoring her so she hits the tennis ball so far he has to run through every person that we see in this episode to get to the tennis ball jumps off of a hill and hits his, hits his head and um, at the end of the episode Little Pete is professing his undying love to the mail carrier Nona stops him, tackles him quite literally and hits his head on the on the pavement and now he's, he's gone. Uh, Nona ends up becoming uh, contaminated, which is why she tackled him in the first place, which still leaves Heather as the only character not to be affected by spring fever. And um, now that Little Pete is out of his uh, spring fever days, he gives the love letter back to uh, the mail carrier, and she notices that the E on it is not her initial or not her handwriting, so she gives it back to Ellen, saying, I gave this to the wrong person. And Ellen is now in the hospital but, uh, by the bedside of where Big Pete is, and she realizes what's happened. And then by the end of the episode, Spring Fever has now passed. Everyone goes back to their normal routine. But uh, there for a while, ev almost everyone was affected, and the, uh, the way they the reason I would say my episode is a better written one is because whereas uh, 
the Valentine's Day Massacre very much focuses on Big Pete. Uh, Little Pete's there, but he's 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 kind of there. Whereas this one, they're both in there, and they're both pretty well. They have a lot of screen time, and they have their own two separate stories. But near the end, they both in, intermingle, and the, they both end each other's stories, uh, which I think is a, a tricky thing to do for Pete and Pete. Because a lot of times you have one story that's main, that's pretty prominent, the other one that's kind of there. This one's probably one of the better ones that has two separate stories that interwine into one. But that's mm. you know my opinion. Uh, but that is the main plot for Crisis in the uh, Love Zone. I noticed um, a common theme you guys brought up in that there is another girl that is interacting with Ellen's love for Pete, Big Pete. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's some similarities there. So I have a follow-up question for our story in that for someone who's being introduced to the show, um, why would your episode be a better representation of the series itself? One, you get a lot of the family banter. Uh, you, you don't really get to see Pete and Big Pete interact very much, but you get their own very, very distinct personalities uh, very clearly. Uh, you see that uh, Little Pete is very against. He's very much a rebel, and Big Pete is much more the romanticist. Uh, you see the relationships they have with their friends. Uh, Big Big Pete with Ellen, how there has very much always been that on-again, off-again, but it really works here. Um uh, because he's always seen her as your girl, your friend, but you're not my girlfriend, and that's still very prevalent here. And also, uh, Little Pete very much has kind of not not throughout the run of the show. I think this is the only episode where Nona and and Little Pete really show either one of them show any real romantic affections for the other one, although Michelle Trachtenberg did say that she had a crush on Danny Temporelli when she was a kid. Uh, but uh, they, um, they've they got that really solid camaraderie where she's kind of filling in for Artie. Uh, she, the, he's got some actual kids his age now to hang out with. And uh, I think she's a good uh, counterpart to Little Pete. And you still have the wide array of the Wellsville uh, citizens, which we'll get into later, and um, uh, you still have those really weird oddities that you normally see for Pete and Pete, like using the turtle as a key to find a secret stash of VHS tapes in the middle of the woods. Uh, Just a, a lot of those weird, odd things that you normally come to expect, and the close-ups and the fun angles that they use to show all the uh, extremes. Uh, There you go. That's pretty much what I've got. And I think it's taken the Pete and Pete formula. It's had three seasons to do this, and it's really perfected it, whereas the Valentine's Day Massacre, uh, not to say it was bad, because it's not bad at all. It's quite good, but it was their first special, and it was the first time that they're really tinkering with a lot of these ideas. So it's uh, trying to flesh it out, but it's not as well fleshed out as uh, season three. I mean, I have a I have a personal affection for this episode um, mm-hmm. because it was one of the earliest ones I've saw I, I've seen as a kid growing up watching Nickelodeon, and rightfully so because it's the first official episode. Yeah. Um, I really love the tone that it sets; like it feels epic, but also manageable for a kid who's dealing with love, especially in like the middle school age range. Because uh, Big P is you know a few years younger here. 
uh, I believe he's like four or five years younger here than in Crisis in the Love Zone. So he's, he's experiencing love, at least as far as I know, for the first time outside of his on again, off again feelings for Ellen. So yeah. I think a lot of people can relate to this experience when they're going through school and kind of figuring out things like crushes or, you know, who, why they like certain people and how to follow through with that uh, based on like doing nice gestures like Valentine's as we see here with Big P or if, you know, they need something a little more grandiose to kind of get the message across that you like another person. So I, I really love how that thread is like interwoven through here while also establishing just the, the fun, quirky, alternative suburban nature of the show right from the get-go. Like even, even though uh, Crisis in the Love Zone is a more refined episode in terms of all the elements coming together at key moments. At least here, it's it's rough, but it's still it's still got that charm, and all the pieces are in place where they need to be. You got the bully characters with their goofy names like Open Face, and of course all of his minions. Mm -hmm. uh, you have like the adult character who's kind of weird and has his own quirks, like painting wobbly lines when he gets overly stressed. You have Mrs. Fingerwood, who just is totally obsessed with math, um, draws her twos like a, a funny way, and is really interested about calculations of all sorts of things. So it, it's like a it's like a first time peering into the universe. And I feel like for people who like offbeat types of entertainment, this is a great gateway into the Pete and Pete universe because it doesn't hit you straight on the head, but it gives you a very solid taste of what's to come from here with the dynamic of the two brothers. We can see that there's a, a big Pete and a little Pete, and they've got their own personalities and occasionally they play off of each other. You got Ellen who's kind of unifying them as a trio. You got the villains, you got the adult characters who come into it, and you got this seemingly normal plot that somehow gets a little bit weirder and stranger the further we go into it, but it also takes us through a roller coaster that ends us uh, up on a, on a side uh, at the end where everything just feels like it's tied up with a bow, everything feels good, and you want to go back for more. And I certainly did too when I first saw this episode, so I think it's, it's required viewing for a first time viewers who are interested in the Pete and Pete Wellsville universe. All right, cool. Well, let's go to uh, category two, and you're each going to defend your main character and their role in this story. So as I, I touched upon before through the story, uh, Big Pete is the focus of this episode. He opens it right from the get-go with a narration uh, with some epic fanfare on the football field of school. He, he's really kind of recounting uh, all these events that happened and walking us through his, his journey of falling in and out in love with Mrs. Fingerwood, his teacher, but also learning how to handle and own up to his mistakes uh, as he has to answer to Mr. Beverly, who is responsible for Edna the Fighting Squid mascot. I really appreciate his, his courage through making a lot of tough decisions in this episode. He may seem timid at first, like he seems rather introverted and even mumbling a little bit when he first opens his narration, but I like that he's setting setting forth from the get-go that he's the person who typically tells the Pete and Pete stories, say for like one or two episodes where little Pete takes the helm like in Alex's episode. Um, we, we also see him, how he interacts in a school environment compared to like the uh, his home or just like downtown or in another location where we see more kids present and aside from like 
kids being in the classroom briefly for a couple of scenes, we mostly see him interact with his best friend Ellen and his little brother, Little Pete, um, and how they work together to, you know, I guess guard the secret of accidentally murdering Edna and not really knowing how to do with it. And I appreciate that they respect the bond of friendship to the point where even when Open Face is trying to manipulate Ellen to spill the beans or tell the secret, um, which could possibly get him even more trouble, he chooses to you know, stand up for it and own his mistakes, which is a sign of maturity. Uh, certainly, it wasn't my family growing up. Um, in terms of falling in love, his his main focus really is Mrs. Fingerwood. Um, you know, he kind of swoons over her, really picks on things to to appreciate about her uh, in the classroom, like her drawing her shoes a certain way and um, figuring out certain like velocities. Like I think they mentioned the the formula of like how the distance to the sun. I can't quite remember exactly, uh, but I. I, I can find him very relatable, and I've always found Big Pete relatable in, in the Pete and Pete episodes because somehow his level of struggles and how to deal with him uh, really really resonate with me in terms of falling back on my siblings because I also have a younger brother who I used to be close with. Still, still am, but a little bit less so. And also best friends, too, for advice. Like, you, if you're dealing with a problem, you don't have to deal with it on your own. And I, I admire Big Pete's willingness to reach out to others for help uh, when you have a tricky situation you're not sure how to handle. So I think despite this being an episode where we see him younger, he, he demonstrates a lot of maturity here. And he doesn't let uh, being phased by he, – he doesn't let his infatuation – uh, become a full-blown obsession too much like the most he does is make a pretty valentine for it and just kind of you know ah swoons over mrs finger a little bit but it doesn't get like out of control like you would expect it to be which i appreciate all righty alex so i'm going to give a very different answer because uh, I don't think Little Pete is the main protagonist of this episode, uh, which I know is probably the easy thing to say because you see so much of uh, Big Pete and the other one. I want to say that Nona is the main character because she's the one who carries this episode and we follow her narrative, which is a way that really, again, intermingles the stories so well. Uh, we follow her all the way through with trying to stay with little Pete so he doesn't get infected and the other way around. And then when he does become infected by spring fever, she finds, uh, she goes on this quest to get these VHS tapes that are lesson one, lesson two, lesson three, or, or love con one, love con two, love con three, uh, where he, she is trying to listen to these pre-recorded messages from little Pete of what to do in the event that he gets, taken by this uh this disease and um she is her loyalty is unlike anything i've ever seen in pete and pete uh she goes above and beyond what anyone has really done outside of what pete and pete have done for each other and she goes to everyone she goes to pit stain she goes to big pete uh she gets the turtle and uses it him to unlock the door uh, she goes to Ellen. Uh, well, Ellen and Big Pete are kind of the same. Uh, mostly it's Big Pete. But um, by the end of it, 
she knows that he's going to be taken by this and there's nothing that she can do and little pete reminds her you know think just remember me as the way i was uh, before all this and then that's when she falls in love with him because she has always cared for him she's always liked him she loves that friendship and now spring fever has gotten her and she loves little pete the way he was not the way he's affected now and i believe she's the only character uh and i i think it's the only time in the series i think so when when anyone's ever said i love you yeah um, because they were all afraid. A little Pete was afraid to say those three words, uh, so much so that he even put it on a board that he didn't want to say it out loud. And uh, Nona was the one. And just before little Pete said it, she tackled him and was professing her love for him. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Which is, it's very sweet. It's kind of, yeah. it, it's really adorable. Uh, probably it. the most adorable thing of the episode. Uh, watching Big Pete just fawning over Heather was funny. Uh, <laughs> watching everyone, uh, every one of the kids falling in love with their respective individual and it not being reciprocated mostly was funny. Ellen was a little heartbreaking, but uh, Little Pete and, uh, and Nona, that was just adorable. And, and Nona has always been probably my second favorite supporting character uh just under art artie um but uh i i i can't think of another episode where you've had a supporting character carry the narrative uh which i find really interesting so that way you can get both sides of of the pete's stories in this but also you get to see her uh, her loyalty as she, she tries to help uh little pete and how she knows his world well enough to who to go to and is brave enough to go to his bullies uh, and is willing to, as, as, as awful as it is, put little Pete in our pit stains uh, in a headlock and threaten to beat him up. But of course, pit stain is professing his undying love to Nona and she's not having that. She's ignoring all those advances as well. And, um, even being grossed out at the fact that uh, he's made a, a statue of her in uh, different kinds of meat. Uh, but Nona is very much the, uh, the the main protagonist and once everything is all done and this all subsides, she's still there by Little Pete's side. Uh, even though he didn't reciprocate the love back, she still cares for him and they're still very good friends and they will always be very good friends that was like a swerve of like the cast reveal like yeah <laughs> the real um, villain is Eunice for, for <laughs> infecting everyone <laughs> I, I also do want to mention real quick that something about crisis in the love zone even if it's not the episode I'm defending um, really gives me Billy Madison vibes just something about everyone going gaga over over spring fever reminds me a lot of like those moments when we see all the characters like slowly run to each other and come together, especially um, Chris Farley and the giant penguin, or like when they're <laughs> handing out Valentine's uh, in class and Billy has yeah. that awkward interaction with the substitute teacher who's the revolting blob guy. So <laughs> there's, there's a lot of fun to be had yeah. here. Yeah. I appreciate that comparison a lot, actually. Um, that's great. Um, Cool. I like both your arguments a lot. That's going to be a really tough category. 
I guess uh, I'm curious, what's the defining moment for your main character that defines love, I guess? I think, I believe Big, uh, Big Pete's defining moment is when he reveals his own secret about accidentally killing Edna the fighting squid. It takes a lot to admit your faults, as I mentioned before. It takes a lot of maturity, uh, even when there's the potential consequence for punishment or at least beratement uh, by an adult semi-authority figure. I don't know how much authoritative power Mr. Beverly has as a groundskeeper, but you know, at the very least, he'd be upset at him for killing the mascot. Uh, I always, I always think back to that scene after, even after rewatching this episode multiple times, because it was a real like hey Arnold moment for him where mm -hmm. he did the right thing and by doing the right thing it set him free free mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, from from just the guilt that was weigh, weighing on him of how to handle the situation and I really love how Ellen's running back to him and saying don't do it Pete I didn't tell him I didn't tell him because I, I was expecting them to like hug and kiss but of course you know Ellen's just being Ellen being a good best friend and telling them telling him what really happened with their interaction uh, at the park where like Ellen is flying the kites with open face. So it's, it's, I feel like that's the turning point of the episode where we're in this kind of weird what's happening dynamic with Pete and Miss Fingerwood and Mr. Beverly and open face and Ellen and everyone. And it just, it just recalibrates back to what we've already established in the beginning of the episode. So I appreciate that moment more than any other in the episode as a result. All right. Alex, you may have already said your defining scene, but I'll let. I'll yes, let. Uh, it, it it's a it is one that I had mentioned, but uh, I do believe for at least in terms of the main character, uh, it is the part where she is uh, Nona is watching the VHS tape over on LoveCon Four, and how it's this is this is it. He is not going to be able to recover from this, but this entire episode. And every episode uh, leading up to this, we've always seen that that close relationship, that close bond, and just how they're almost brother and sister like. But uh, there is, uh, there could be an argument like what uh, Brett had said as a joke, uh, where the mail carrier could potentially be, you know, the one spreading the the disease throughout because uh, of all the love letters that she's passing out. But everyone we've seen. Uh, has fallen in love with someone else and it, it was almost immediate uh, once they saw them uh, and they were already in love we didn't see the build up whereas Nona has had no build up she's always been loyal to Little Pete and the moment that Little Pete was it's I, I, I can't get away from this I'm going to say this don't remember me like the little sappy gross person that I'm about to become remember me as I was and upon reflecting of all the different things, uh, weird things that the two of them have done together, including uh, the, pulling him out of the ground when he was grounded, uh, which was a great little callback. That's when she really appreciated who he is even farther. Uh, and coming from, uh, on a personal level, coming from a relationship where my wife was my best friend, and uh, I had tried, no joke, three years to get her to agree to even date me, but she didn't want to because one, I was weird. And then two, she uh, was afraid that if something happened to us, 
our friendship would be lost. But finally, when she agreed to it, then obviously you see where we're at now. But uh, I've come from that place of being close friends and then slowly building that relationship to the point where now it's something much stronger. And uh, I know that's not what happens throughout the entire series of Pete and Pete, but I can see it happening from this uh, from this one episode. And I would have I, I would not be opposed to seeing the two of them be a pretty awesome rebel couple. Uh, they could be the Bonnie and Clyde of the series, which would have been fun to see. But uh, that moment is the moment that I uh, that is a defining moment for her, even if it was a, a disease going around, which I, I don't see it as that. That's the only one that I don't see as being spring fever. And that felt genuine. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I will bring up for our Pete and Pete nerds, we do get Krebstar's official slogan. Yes. In, in LoveCon videos, right? Operation Heart Punch is brought to you by the fine folks at Krebstar. From sponge cake to space stations, it's gotta be Krebstar. When I was watching that episode in preparation for this episode today, I'm like, wow, that's where Allie got it from. So cool. I, I need to see more Krebstar products. Don't don't use it, don't don't use that in your decision because that's an unfair advantage. Krebstar wasn't invented in Valentine's Day Massacre. No, it's true. You yeah, you are are not given that 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 advantage. So we we have to we yeah. can't include Krebstar in this discussion today. Yeah. We we can't but, even uh, consider the retro <laughs> Riley jetpack because that wasn't until New Year's Peak. Right, yeah. And that's is that even Krebstar? Who knows? Um yeah. but yeah, I just love it from Sponge Cake to Space Stations. <laughs> There's an it's international catchy. space station up there that's Krebstar owned. It's uh, it's impressive. <laughs> Is it made out of sponge cake? That's the real question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get these little Krebbies, right? Yeah. All right. Um, I think this is going to be a very tough category for me, the citizens of Wellsville. And it's because I am one of maybe the few Pete and Pete fans that really actually love the side characters more mm -hmm. than I love the main characters. So I'm excited to hear your arguments for why your episode highlights Citizens of Wellsville better than the other. Well, for starters, um, I started eating open-faced sandwiches ever seeing this episode for the first time. I'm like, what is an open-faced sandwich? Oh, you just eat a sandwich without the top half of bread? How cool. How and it's very difficult to eat it, especially with all the different types he has. But I'm getting ahead of myself. He's not, I'm trying to do this in alphabetical order to the best of my ability. So starting off with Valentine's Massacre, citizens of Wellsville, we have Mr. Beverly. He is uh, the groundskeeper of the football field. Uh, maybe other parts of the school, I don't know. And uh, we see him a lot interacting basically with open face saying, you know, keep Big Pete from slobbering all over Miss Fingerwood because he's mighty jealous of her, even though he's he's too shy to admit that he has a crush on Miss Fingerwood as well. Um, and I really appreciate how he he expresses his personality just by drawing white paint lines with his little like painting cart thing. Because um, it's not something you really think about when you see a football field until you actually see someone doing it and how it takes a lot of skill to do it nice and straight or even in a uh, shape of a heart as we see at the end of the episode, which is quite a feat for him. Uh, you know, even when we see him in his lowest moments, he's got, uh, you know, he's wobbling around all over the place and trying to deflect the influence of open face and 
you know, those, those dark thoughts that are trying to permeate his head, but he's always on the sidelines trying to keep involved with the story. And I, I appreciate that a, that a, you know, side character is doing all that he can to take an active role in the episode, because we don't really see that too often, aside from like Mr. Tasty, for example. We also have Mrs. Fingerwood, who later becomes a mainstay of the citizens of Wellsville, as we see her multiple times in later episodes. Uh, we have X equals Y and A Hard Day's Pete, to name a few, where she really you know, has a more prominent role. But this is the start of it all. We established that she is passionate about math. Um, she's very quirky. She expresses herself a lot through numbers and things like that. And it's, it's fun to see how she interacts with all of her students because she's just constantly on with the math. Like, did you know that there, there's like, you know, my cat has the square root of seven as my name. I know that's from a different episode, but I'm just, you know, listing an example of types of things she would say to other people. And I, I find that charming. And she's, she also is like an ally to the Pete's as well, because she's, she seems like she's there to help them when they need them. Of course, we have the bully of the episode who's named Open Face, named after the sandwiches that he assembles before he pounds the living daylights out of his victims. And we see quite a slew of different different concoctions there from like uh, peanut butter and herring or pickled herring, something to that extent, <laughs> uh, which was actually in a Hey Arnold episode called Eating Contest of All Places. We also see like a, a fluffernutter one that was like used as, as like a, refrigerator magnet for back of a letter what better way of expressing it where it like glued the ransom note or the the threat to their bunk bed saying you know give up the squid or you know I'll, I'll make you admit your secret and uh of course we have we have to talk about open faces minions because he's got quite a few of them in his posse ranging from butt stripe who has like this mud stripe on his uh, khaki pants that won't go away from him riding his bike in the mud. Uh, we have Gravy Breath, who smells worse than a rotten turkey dinner whenever she opens her mouth. We have Ink Stain, who has like ink splotches all over his jacket and is actually played by Ty Swanson, who played Ian in the Tell the Midnight Ride in Ari Fair of the Dark. So there's a mm -hmm. fun Ari Fair of the Dark connection there. And uh, we also have Milk Mustache, who's pretty self-explanatory. I guess he drinks milk a lot and wipes it away before, you know, they pound people. And then we have Audi, who apparently has like a belly button who's, that sticks three feet out, although we never see her from the waist down. So we can't, we can't, uh, we can't see the mystical wonders of, uh, of such a sight. <laughs> and of course, we have some more of our, our supporting characters lumped in as well, where we have little Pete, who's very cute and adorable at this stage of the, of the series. Uh, running around with the oversized bulky turtleneck that we've seen him in the shorts before. Uh, he, he doesn't really do too much other than just be there as Big Pete's lackey to keep their secret under wraps, like, um, you know, radio in on the walkie-talkie to Ellen if there's trouble or if he runs an open face, make sure he keeps the secret uh, while they, like, try to get it out of him by drawing a, a mustache on Petunia and other stuff with marker, which is very disrespectful for to people who, you know, sport tattoos. And then we also have Ellen, who, who's in, in the best friend role, but is also feeling threatened by Mrs. Fingerwood coming between her and Big Pete. Um, she, she's also doing her best to keep the secret about the, the deceased squid, but also is interested in pursuing her own love interests uh, after she realizes that she can't count the one million to please Pete to get him back on her side. 
So I, I really appreciate her like shifting of allies or um, moralities, I guess, if you will, here. And then last but not least, we have the great almighty Edna the Fighting Squid, which I actually have a sticker of right here. Oh, I happen to have that same one on my wall. Yeah, I remember you bought it for me. What's the slogan? I got People got to know the slogan. Could you remind me? <laughs> <laughs> well, on your sticker there and on the bucket when he kills the... Um, oh, yeah, it is on there. The, um, the squid, you, you, it reads Squirtum to Squirtum Victory. Squirtum to Victory. Yep. Oh, man. Too good. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot I put that. That was a while back. But, um, <laughs> well, we can show pictures of those on the screen of that. And I also have an open face one eating uh, eating that Perfect. weird herring sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we got quite a we got quite an assortment of characters here, and it really helps the episode feel full. Like, even though obviously we have student extras in the classrooms, it feels like a lived-in world with all these different characters who are roaming it, whether it's at school, on the streets, in the classroom. Um, we don't really go home. We do see a tiny, tiny glimpse of mom and dad when Don Wrigley is practicing his discus throwing, and I wish we saw a little bit more of them. But I'm glad that we were able to fit in as many people as we were able to without sacrificing the integrity of the story itself, which is about Big Pete handling this romance and how it's like making his world crumble around him. But by him coming together and assuming responsibility for the thing he did, it, it just puts everything back into balance. And I, I like how, just as a, as a final thought, I like how that connects to the imagery and the foreshadowing of the scene where uh, Miss Fingerwood's class is like doing that weird solar system exercise where she has the giant sun around her face and everyone's holding a planet revolving around her because it seems like at that point the plot is revolving around her mm -hmm. along with Pete being sucked into it because she comes towards him in that big old sun uh, headpiece uh, acting concerned for him because he got punched in the face by open face by this point and so it's like we, we're visually seeing how the dynamic is shifting and I, I really appreciate the the expert clever use of all these characters to keep the, the plot interesting and moving around all these different types and turns instead of just going straight through the story all right alex tell me about season three citizens before i get to that i do want to just because i i, I find it fun uh go on to mr beverly from uh valentine's day massacre we all have those actors that we like who are usually very small supporting character actors. Uh, but once you see them in other movies and TV shows, it's it's like, oh, man, I'm so excited because you just love to see that person. Uh, Mr. Beverly is one of those for me. And I had actually completely forgotten that he was in this episode uh, because this guy, I don't know the guy's name. I'm sorry. He's one of those actors, unfortunately. You know the face, but you don't know the name. But uh, he was in... Two understandably terrible movies, but I love them both. I don't care what anyone says. He was in both the Super Mario Brothers movie, oh, where he wow. was where he was Spike, and he was also on Howard the Duck. Oh. <laughs> and um, at one point, Howard the Duck threatens that he's going to bite somebody's face, and they were going to get space rabies. Oh my gosh. And this, and the guy uh, who's about to get bit looks over at Richie, and Richie was the same guy who plays Mr. Uh, Beverly, and uh, goes, is that a real disease? And in his voice, he goes, I don't know, I heard something about that on the news. I bite your face, you're a dead man, Ginger. 
What are you talking about? Space rabies. Richie, is that a real disease? I don't know, Tinge. I heard something about that on the news. So I keep <laughs> every time he was in this episode, I kept imagining. I I, I waited for him to say something. I, I do want to mention real quick that I, I did look up his name and it's Richard Edson. So for anyone who's curious who Mr. Beverly is, that's his actor or real life name. Richard Edson in this. I, his facial expressions are so wonderful. Um, and yeah, of course his line delivery, like stay he, off the line. <laughs> yeah. He's like, so he like, he's so heartbroken at like the idea of somebody standing on his, you know, his, his work. Like, I, I just love that conveying of his of his facial expressions taking those out and then to kind of attack on or to jump on a little bit of um, Alex's point I think this show in general just does an incredible job with one-time characters um, yes o- over the course of the entire series um, and uh, yeah I can really appreciate Mr. Beverly in a lot of ways because of that I think that's why the citizens of Wellsville has become such a beloved part of Pete and Pete um, mm-hmm. lore, I guess you can put it, because we get all these little tiny snapshots of all the different inhabitants, very much like all the different characters of Springfield in The Simpsons, and we put yeah. them all together for certain scenes where some of them come back. We're like, oh yeah, I remember those people, and it just feels really lived in when you take the time visually and you know develop their character to have them do a few things relative to the main characters to help us realize, you know, this isn't just a show, it's it's a community. And this community is always going to be there for its viewers as long as they're there for, you know, the show. Yeah, yeah it's, it's the suburbs. Yeah. Everyone knows what that person is most well known for, and they've always got that nickname that sticks with them now because, oh, yeah, that's the, that guy. That, yeah, he's, he's a guy with bad pits. You know, yeah, every, everyone remembers or, pit stain. Or, or Mrs. Blowtard with the arm flub from uh, yes. what we did on our summer vacation. Yeah, everyone's got their own personalities. Uh, they're all fleshed out. Uh, they've got those little quirks that everyone remembers them for. Only it's through filtered through the eyes of a wildly imaginative child. Yeah. So, yes, it's very easy to see why the citizens of Wellsville are, are so well beloved. But uh, going to season three... Uh, Yes, we've got uh, Ellen as a supporting character, but you know that's that's pretty standard. Uh, the we do get a bit of Hairnet and um, who was the other one? Neck brace. Was with the, night, neck brace. But they, they are they're very much in passing, uh, and and they were helping um, Pitstain. Which speaking of, we have Pitstain in this episode, uh, who goes to pretty extreme lengths. Uh, probably more so than anyone else to prove his undying love because one, as mentioned earlier, he makes that Nona sized replica of her out of all kinds of different meats and he also gets a heart-shaped suntan oh, on oh, his wait, chest. Wait wait, 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 hold on. I got something to show you. <laughs> oh, no. no. Are you, are you going to strip not again a suntan, the Not a suntan. <laughs> I made this for you. <laughs> <laughs> It's a Smashing Pumpkins uh, shirt from their Jis album. Perfect. And, yeah, I planned and, it. <laughs> uh, also, also for this episode, uh, we have Eunice uh, Puel, who is the mail carrier. And uh, as Allie had said when she had arrived, that um, very oh, – say it again for me. Well, she has like a whole speech about the, the bees and the everything, but, you know, the – 
the most memorable of that was that chirpity chirpity cheese. That's the you one. Know, like, <laughs> That's yeah. the one. I can't help but say it too. Oh, melts my heart. She she was a fun character. She looks like she could be Jessica Gaines' mother from all yep. the crazy kids. Uh, she they they look very similar, but uh, she was very happy very i mean it's hokey and cheesy but it's spring fever so she's very gee golly and it's it's really infectious uh, even as an audience member i was getting spring fever just listening to all this um and you have clark the turtle which was fun uh who again mostly served as a giant key which was uh, not what you expect. <laughs> he comes back from Range Boy because we first uh, see him boy. with Artie on the golf course. And uh, <laughs> another fun one, uh, it, it was a one-off character, but it was while Little Pete was with uh, Eunice and he was trying to woo her, and then she keeps going and he stops and, and they he turns back and tells <laughs> Johnny the Fiddle Player, Keep fiddling, because behind <laughs> them was a was a fiddle player in a nice little suit, just playing some serenading the two of them, uh, which was a fun gag. But uh, it, it was only that, that one time. But that's pretty much the only characters that we really see. There's not as many members of Wellsville in this episode, and uh, even Pit Stain is watered down considerably in this episode from where Nona had tried to utilize his uh, bully and uh, his. Um, aggressive personality to snap little Pete out of this. He's got little Pete and a headlock and he's still professing his undying love to Nona. And he's saying how wonderful love is. And Pete is right here under his arm also saying how wonderful love is. And it's, it's not something that you would normally expect, but watch seeing these two get along and not, grossed out at each other especially little pete being in the most awful location at the moment didn't bother him a bit uh, <laughs> but the the main focus uh, it was the main characters and ellen and uh, big pete and little pete and nona so there's not as many uh wills billions this episode as there is on um valentine's massacre but for what little bit they're in there. And and you do have some citizens, again, just to paint the picture of them being uh, romantically involved. Like I said earlier, wiping the mustache. You got the elderly couple who have the teddy bears that are kissing. And uh, then a couple that's spinning. Uh, and at one point, uh, one of them is putting down a jacket on top of a puddle on the sidewalk. And Big Pete literally runs on top of it to catch the tennis ball. And also runs across that um, Nona statue, uh, meat statue, knocks that over. Uh, but for the most part, there's not as many, and they're they're not as prominent in this episode. Don't forget Heather, the tennis player, too. Yes, yes, Heather. That that's gank. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she was uh, she was hateful. Like like I had said earlier, she was the only character who did not like anybody, never fell in love, and was very annoyed with not only Big Pete but also with Ellen. I don't see how she kept coming back, playing with Ellen. I'm I'm surprised <laughs> she didn't stop, uh, because again, for for those who aren't aware, Big Pete kept asking Ellen to please overshoot the ball out of the court, and. 
it, they're they're it, they're fenced in. So if it went over the fence, she would ask for somebody. Can someone please go get that? And Big P was, hey, I'll I'll, I'll take care of that for you. Great game, tennis. Me? More of a badminton man myself. It's like tennis. Thinner racket, no ball. If uh, you'd like to learn. I'll hire a pro. Just nonstop doing that over and over. And then Ellen gets the ball again and shoots it over again. And Heather is getting more and more annoyed. Oh, gee, imagine that. Um, but it was really fun to see. <laughs> it was almost like Pepe Le Pew and that cat. I am Pepe Le Pew. Your lover. So impetuous, but nice. Uh, I've I've always kind of find those type of relationships, especially for Valentine's Day episodes, really fun. Yeah, Heather really reminded me of like a standard '90s like elite girl, you know, and just very bratty and preppy, and yeah. I was thinking she was the missing mean girl from the movie Mean Girls. <laughs> I felt I felt like she was uh uh she should have been on Bring It On. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she's got that cheerleader sass. There um there's just a couple stray observations I wanted to throw out there. Um one, Mrs. Fingerwood's bolo tie is the pie symbol, which I just I thought was great for <laughs> character. Um yeah, and, and Brett, you brought up, you know, Clark making a triumphant return from season one. I just thought that was so cool. Yeah. Um, and then also Brett, you brought this up a bit. Like I, I, from what I, when I was watching the episode, I think open faces fluffer nutter sandwich is so strong. It breaks their bedroom window. <laughs> How does so that? Yes. Use yes. a brick to, <laughs> to threaten big Pete, which I thought was such a funny use of that, uh, <laughs> that like prop, sound effect. visual. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's that that cracked me up. Um, and the way they get that shot of it just sliding down, uh, perfect. Yeah. And I think it falls off as soon as Open Face is done narrating the letter. Which yeah. Is like uh -huh. Beautiful timing. Dear character, let's settle this mess once and for all. Meet me at Langley Field an hour before homework, you miserable wuss. Sincerely yours, Open Face. I love how like proper he is, but he's also you know a, a jerk. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. That's going to be an interesting category, see how it turns out. But um, this might be the most important category for our discussion today, and that's the the use of the theme of love in your episode. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear how love is the defining factor of your episode. Love is like the sun. Everything revolves around it in life, and all the characters revolve around Miss Fingerwood because she is the center of the romance for Big P in this one. And it affects everyone's relationships, no matter how they're, you know, related to it or what their distance is. For uh, obviously, Big Peak gets sucked in full force to the epicenter, and then Ellen tries to pull him out of it, but can't. So, you know, she ends up going over to Open Face, who's trying to distance herself and also push Mr. Beverly towards it. And so it's it's wild. I mean, love love really messes with people when you are infatuated with people and there are also other people who are infatuated with the same person because it makes you do things you wouldn't normally do to try and either gain the advantage or just have them for yourself and it's not something I, I typically think about when I think about love because 
you know, at school, it's just like you're only thinking about yourself and the person you like, not necessarily other people. But I like how how the the use of the love theme here brings everyone together and even even comes to a head with everyone expressing their love and respect for Edna the Squid, even even though you know she passed on they still paid their respects and that's where we open up with the episode where pete is there and they even have a plaque that i i read which is very sweet uh apparently she lived from 1965 to 1990 go figure so she had a long <laughs> prosperous life as a squid in a bucket but uh that being said uh yeah it, it plays a lot with different facets of love uh and going deeper and peeling back the the layers of the heart-shaped onion here because we get like people pretending to be in love to get something they want with open face and Ellen. We get people who are jealous who fall in love with other people with uh, Ellen kind of going to open face. We have jealous love where Mr. Beverly is like watching from afar because he can't quite get the courage to talk to Mrs. Fingerwood and express his feelings. We have a uh, like child adult love, which is more like infatuation going on and playing around with the ideas of love versus reality of love there uh, between Big Pete and Mrs. Fingerwood. And of course, um, you know, maybe maybe even Little Pete and his love for his tattoo because he's devastated when Open Face draws on her and she deserves some attention as well because she's always there right by his side on his arm. <laughs> um, yeah, love, love does a lot of strange things to people, but in the end, it, it really steers you to where you need to go and to do the right things when you're true to yourself. And I, I really appreciate that that genuine core element that sets sets everything back to normal here. All right. Alex, end your episode. So for mine, love eventually makes it through. Uh, it's... Uh, Everyone is affected by love in this episode. Everyone. Um, except for Heather. Uh, but, well, no, that's not necessarily true because she is affected by it just indirectly. What about uh, Clark? Is he affected by love? Yes, because he wouldn't have been uh, used as a key if, uh, <laughs> if, if Little Pete wasn't affected. Case in point, everyone is involved. Everyone was affected by love in some capacity in this episode, and uh, you you see it done in different ways. Spring fever is real. I don't care what anyone says. If you've been in junior high or high school, and once it gets nice and warm, you see everyone fawning over everyone else, and you we've seen every single one of these things play out. Uh, yes, the beginning when uh, Little Pete and... Nona are seeing all these couples who are together and happy. It's gross. Ew, gross. But we've seen those. There are people who are romantically involved and very happy to be romantically involved. Uh, we, You also have uh, the ones who fawn over the other person, but the other person's not having it, uh, which we have seen with Nona and Pitstain, and we also saw with Big Pete and Heather. We also see those times whenever uh, someone falls in love with uh, a teacher or has a crush on their teacher. Not only does Big Pete have that with uh, his teacher, but uh, you have Little Pete do that, not necessarily with a teacher, but with an authority figure in a way, because uh, you also have the mail carrier. I mean, people like kids fall in love with anyone. Yay, yay hormones. <laughs> uh, but uh, you also have those people who are 
infatuated with someone else, but they're infatuated with someone else, uh, which is what you had with Ellen, with Big Pete, with Heather. You also have those people who go too far with their uh, infatuation, like Pitstain with that giant statue that's just, eh, no, gross. Um, but also you have those relationships that stem from a place of foundation, uh, which is what Nona and Little Pete had. And you also have those who suffer in silence, uh, which was Ellen in this episode. Uh, she was there for Big Pete more than he realizes. And then once he was in the hospital recovering with a broken leg, uh, she kept her uh, feelings to herself and continued to do so because she knows it's not going to go anywhere, at least not right now. And um, there is a whole gamut a whole range of different types of love that you see in different uh, levels, but it's all here, and the entire episode is centered around love and how it affects everyone involved. Uh, not even those who are directly in love with someone else, but they have to deal with everyone else who is. So, uh, yeah, love hurts. Love, love hurts! Nice. You Def Leppard. Okay. I think uh, one follow-up question I have for you two is, um, which is a more realistic love story? In yours? Mine. Love to hear Mine. why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to explain. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to be, just because of the span of the show I, and the, the nature of the categories, I'm going to be retreading some water here or have some overlap with the categories. Uh, school romance happens uh, people get crushes on different people different authority figures there's unrequited love here Mrs. Fingerwood doesn't necessarily like Pete back she she expresses care and concern from him but she doesn't mm -hmm. fall in love with him like hey let's go on a date right now no that doesn't happen and uh, that that's one of the things that many people learn about when they grow up and learn about different types of love. You know, you got the puppy love, you got the more lustful love, you got truly romantic love, unrequited love, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it's, it's very sobering to see the different types being displayed throughout the different character dynamics as things kind of get out of whack throughout the course of the plot. Um, and also relate to your own personal experiences because we, we've also talked a little bit briefly about this on our Patreon episode that's also love-themed uh, and how how sometimes things don't always work out the way you want them to, even if you have the best intentions, even if you're trying to do things to make the other person like you. Uh, there are just some things that get in the way, you know, age, race, gender, career, you name it, that just, it, it doesn't allow things to work out. But at least at least if there's anything i learned from watching this episode and remember is that you don't necessarily have to try hard um, to be yourself and when you are yourself the right people come into your life to appreciate you for you and very similar of how nona actually loves and appreciates little p in crisis in the love zone ellen does the same for big p in valentine's day massacre because obviously we've seen them have a fight and grow apart about you know the little invisible guy that they that Ellen smashed in that science lab. But even, even with their quarrels and the conflict and people pulling them apart, they still found each other in the game because they remember why they care about each other. And it's just because they're great friends, they have a lot of adventures together and they're always there for each other. They have each other's back. And 
sometimes friendship is more important than, than love and you can't let that get in the way uh, if you have something special right in front of you. And I wholeheartedly relate to that because I've been in a few situations where I thought I loved someone or I thought they loved me and it didn't quite line up. And there were a couple of scenarios where it didn't work out because we we're on different pages. But one of my best friends who agreed to be best friends with me after we talked about our feelings, it actually worked out better that we stayed friends instead of take things further. And so, you know, it, it's nice to know that there's hope and that love doesn't have to be the end all be all goal. And for that and for the layers of subtlety that you can look into it with with Big Pete's adventure through Love and Valentine's Day Massacre, I find that highly relatable and realistic. All right. Alex, why is yours more realistic? Well, one, because it's happened here in this house. <laughs> uh, so there you go. There's there's one. Uh, but also, it, it it takes everything that Brett had just talked about and it adds to it. Uh, because you do have those relationships where people have fallen for someone who's, I don't want to say out of their league, because uh, that's not necessarily true, but someone who it is an unobtainable relationship, which again is also something that we have mentioned in the Patreon episode. Uh, because I, I, a, a student falling in love with a teacher, that's not typically going to work. I don't think it ever really has. <laughs> um, and and that's not to slight either episode. That's that's a reality because it happens in the in uh, the Valentine's Day massacre, and it also happens in this episode uh, where Little Pete and the mail carrier. But uh, they they have those crushes for those people, and and the crushes don't have that back. But that is a whole different level of why that's not going to work as opposed to Pitstain and Nona not working or Heather and Big Pete not working. That's just because they have the very different personalities and that's not going to work also. We've seen that. We've seen every single one of these. We've seen uh, one person who pines after somebody else, but that person's pining after somebody else. Hello High School happens everywhere you go. And... Um, then you have those people who, again, case in point me, where you have those relationships with someone and, and it builds and comes grows into something else. And you also have those, uh, every everything that I had mentioned in the previous uh, category or in the previous question, it all happens. It, it, it all happens. Uh, so I think Brett's very much focuses on one, maybe two relationships and um, uh, because you have Big Pete with the teacher, but you have also have Ellen and how that affects her. And that's very much not quite a love triangle, but in a, in a way it is. It takes that one aspect and fleshes it out. But you can't do that again for another episode. So they take that in this episode and then add to it. So it's not it's that's no longer a bullseye. It's all it's a whole target. And uh, you get to see love affecting a community as opposed to affecting a smaller group of people. And both are completely believable within their realms of taking things to the extreme as Pete and Pete does. I, um, I real quick wanted to mention that um, this wasn't brought up, I don't think, to a point I was hoping to, but I think love will make you do crazy things. And I think this episode had great examples of that. Um, I think mm -hmm. the the most interesting was both Open Face and Little Pete are willing to remove their their standard hats and oh, yeah. 
to make themselves more presentable to the people they're trying to pine for. I found that very interesting that Pete was willing to give up his hat for Eunice. So not only give it up, but comb his hair. You yeah. told you to stole get... my line. <laughs> I was trying to say it fast enough. I'm like, wow, they got the middle part in the slicked hair. Yeah. I just found that interesting. Also, you know, Pitstain going to his levels of extremes with the, the meat sculpture and then yeah. you know, he's thinking crazy, like, ah, you don't want me to beat him up. This is a test. I won't do it. Like, yeah, so all right. Well, we have one final category and um, I'm leaving this up to interpretation to you on what your definition of lovesick is. Now, the category that we presented was why your Pete is more lovesick. So um, I'm just going to let you guys do it how you how you would like to argue it, and we'll see who comes out the victor here. Yeah, I'm going to keep it brief because I don't want to keep sounding like a broken record. Mm. Um I think most of us can relate to falling in love with a teacher we really connect with at least once in our lives, uh, especially if they happen to be young or attractive or your type. Uh, throughout most of the episode, Big Pete fawns over Mrs. Fingerwood, convincing himself that all her quirky, mathematically driven personality traits are something he desires. Uh, but Ellen takes notice and it drives them apart, at least for a while. Big Pete is a classic case of loving the idea of a woman, rather than the woman herself. It's easy to get all lovey-dovey when you focus on all the positive traits of a person and then amplify them like a concert speaker in your head. Uh, but I find that if you do succeed, and Big Pete does in the end, uh, in winning the heart of your object of desire, the reality check eventually hits you. And in Big Pete's case, when he and Miss Finger would spend one-on-one -on -one time with each other in the classroom, uh, they find that they don't really have as much in common as they previously thought. So it, it does tie in with your previous question, Allie, of how this can be realistic, where, you know, the, the image and the, what we see in front of us don't quite line up. Um, you know, thankfully, Big Pete coming to his senses, resemblances to the dynamics of all the characters, bringing things back to the status quo, the football field. And I feel that in his love sickness, he, he really pushed like a lot of characters out to their uncomfortable corners of their boundaries. Uh, even Little Pete, who took a minor backseat role in this episode, uh, acting as like a spy or someone to keep a lookout for him uh, in the face of a big bad bully and his minions. I mean, w would you as Little Pete's age in this episode, maybe six, um, go up against a big threatening bully and, and all of his, uh, all of his uh, lackeys? just to uh, defend a secret. I mean, I think that's that's quite a bit of uh, courage it takes to stand up in the name of love and friendship even, which is, I, I would argue, is a form of love. So it's like, because Big Pete is radiating all this love sickness that he feels for his teacher, it's, it's throwing everything else off that's a part of the universe or the solar system, so, so to speak here. And... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to uh, retread old ideas because <laughs> no. at this point, I feel like I'm just saying over and over and over, but it's it's about Big Pete falling in love and keeping a secret and finding ways to grapple with that. And so, you know, through the roller coaster of infatuation, uh, they, him and Miss Fingerwood keep things amicable. She ends up taking more of an interest in Mr. Beverly. All is normal, at least for now. And... You know, it's it's nice to get at least a hint that that 
thread continues throughout the rest of the series in certain episodes where Big P and Miss Finger would interact or at least in the same scene together. Alex, go ahead. And uh, you, you had actually mentioned exactly what I was going to mention for this category, which is the the fact that love makes people do crazy things. This is exa- exactly what I was going to end with, uh, because every character has gone to some degree. Uh, of course, Pitstain goes uh, with the Nona thing, uh, the Nona uh, statue, and uh, Little Pete with the the hat. But also, he's very, very against his normal personality. Um, because he's writing love notes uh, and although the love note is in true little pete fashion where it's it's less sweet but still rough and rebellious but in a sweet attitude and a sweet tone which is kind of cute uh but also you have those moments where you are completely blinded by love which was what big pete was having with heather and what uh, pitstain was having with nona uh you also uh have the moment of where little pete is faced with what am i doing uh i've made a mistake uh that realization of this is not gonna happen this isn't gonna work and uh, probably the most prominent outside of uh, Nona and Little Pete and, and especially Nona realizing her feelings for, for Little Pete Ellen at the end in the hospital and that whole scene with uh, the mail carrier when uh, Eunice brings the letter back to her that whole scene is a very profound moment for the episode and probably one of the most profound things about love that Pete and Pete has ever addressed um, just done through the guise of being male um, from where again uh, I had done a little bit of it but a, the male said or uh, Eunice had said that uh, the male is not perfect but like love it eventually finds its way through uh, because she gave that letter back to Ellen, knowing that that's 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 yours, not mine. Um, everyone has gone through an extreme, extreme degree of love sickness. Uh, most people aren't going to write love letters to somebody else, and uh, most people won't go to full extremes that Nona does to help somebody avoid love sickness. And uh, most people also don't tackle somebody else to profess their undying love for them. But every single one of those happens in this episode, and it happens to almost every character. Okay. Any last minute thoughts before I start working out my my decision here? Oh, Doyle rules. <laughs> <laughs> I wish uh, it was in the same universe. <laughs> uh, uh, the only thing I think that we've got to add right here is before we get to your verdict, let's go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we will hear Ali's verdicts. So we'll be right back. Nickelodeon. 
wants to help you explain Roundhouse to the adults. Step one, tell them about the practical use of pressed on lips, the importance of daily exercise, and the educational value of preteen genetically altered martial arts iguanas. Step two, show them the difference between dancing and dancing. And finally, step three, describe the show. Awesome, dude. Totally dutiful. And if they still don't get it, then they probably never will. Watch Roundhouse every Saturday starting at 8.30, 7.30 Central on SNCC. Pete and Pete isn't the only show that is going to battle this Valentine's season. Rocco's Modern Life is getting in on the action against Red and Stimpy with their debut on Splat Attack. With our judge Carl from 90's Nicktube, Brett and I have a versus battle between I Love Chicken and Love Spanked. Which show is the better fit for Valentine's Day? You will only find the answer over on our Patreon. This season we are looking to give you Slimesters more content than ever before. If you enjoy our content, please hit the like button, subscribe, and hit that notification bell. Also leave us a review when possible. While you're at it, head over to our patreon.com slash splatattack to get an early access of our main episodes, join us for live streams, as well as gain access to exclusive episodes and all of our backlog of Patreon episodes, such as our Rocco and Brandon Stimpy versus episode. Join the Gakoids over on Patreon and get more of the slime-filled past. <laughs> Right, we are we are back, Ali. I, t I hand it over to you. Uh, I've made a grid. Um, I've taken a lot of notes here, and I'm, you know, uh, there were some points I was hoping some of you could would make and maybe touch on. Whether or not we did those, we can kind of go over that. So, let's start back at the story. Our first category. Um, yeah, you know, you have. I think. Alex, you brought up an interesting point that yes, season three has has its um, experience in writing, and maybe it's a little more tight. But um, you know, that's a tough position to put a pilot episode into, right? Like, yeah. I, you know, there's a lot they have to introduce and they have to do to um, sort of um, get there. But you know, I am. I went with. Uh, I went with Valentine's Day Massacre on this one, and so. And the reason being is that, um, you know, uh, Brett did do a better job of conveying in the argument why this story was a little better. Um, I think he hit on more of the points of of what they were trying to convey and talked about the conflicts. And I, um, I really appreciated that Brett brought this up that. Pete, Big Pete, does um, a ton of character growth in in one episode. I thought that was pretty fascinating way of conveying that. Um, yeah, he goes from being afraid to admit what he did wrong to abashedly, I'm going to, you know what, I did do this and I'm owning up to it. And yeah, I thought that was a really great point. Um, and it was one that um, really made the episode, the story, a little stronger. Um, when we go into main characters, this was an interesting one. You know, um, I was wondering if Alex was going to consider Little Pete the main character or or where we were at with that. I think both episodes struggle with who is the main character here. Um, you know, Alex, I think maybe you could argue that Mr. Beverly is more of a main character in this episode or Mrs. Fingerwood. 
Whereas in Crisis in the Love Zone, it, is it Little Pete? Is it Nona? Uh, is it Eunice? Is it Eunice? <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of things going, but Alex, uh, you blew me away with your or your argument for Nona. I, you're, I'm going with you on this one. Um, I love you. you have made me appreciate that episode more as a whole by talking about the development of Nona and one her un- her her commitment to Pete as a friend um and the strongest point of she's the only one willing to say I love you in this whole thing you know it really drove home the point that Pete's like I won't say these words I can't do it and uh I thought that was very um compelling argument for um for Nona so great job on that one uh Wellsville citizens uh, this is a this is a great category um the both these episodes have really fun uh, depictions of their citizens. I Pitstain is one of my least favorite bullies of the series. I uh, I don't think he's super imaginative. Um, I don't think they use him to his best abilities. However, he does. I think this is his strongest episode. If you're going to make an argument for Pitstain, um, but you know, Wellsville in Saint Valen and Valentine's Day Massacre. I just, they really are hitting it on the noggin on this one. I mean, Mr. Beverly, you, you advocated for his performance. I, love um, you. I mean, the fact that we get to say butt stripe on a podcast yes. <laughs> is one special thing. Um, you know, I, I have my own podcast called Notable Nostalgia, and we brought uh, Will McRobb in for an interview. And, and one of the things I told him that I love about the show is the bullies and how they do it. And he talked about that his inspiration was for, um, the bullies and naming them was Dick Tracy, you know, mm. and how those villains were kind of created by like their, their facial features or like, or, or whatever. And so that was sort of what the inspiration was for naming a lot of their characters. And it carried through through season three, clearly. Right. But I just open face is so good. He is so dang good as a, as a bully. And I wish he was in more, um, Me too. but I do find the, the citizens a little more compelling in Valentine's Day Massacre. Um, <clears throat> love theme. This was a this was an interesting one. Um, ultimately, I went with Alex on this one. It was, um, you know, uh, Brad. I think you you stretched a little bit in your argument. I don't know how much love one can have for a squid or. <laughs> but it's so you know. cute with its box, <laughs> boxing gloves on. Right. Right. Um, I think both years had very similar in the love of a child with an adult person, you know, getting infatuated with an adult presence in their life. Um, But Alex really brought it home with this larger range of love depiction. And I thought the best example was um, talking about when the idea of unwanted love, you know, like, somebody showing affection for you when you don't want this and setting up, you know, setting those boundaries and pit stain is the best example of that by like, I've made a meat sculpture of you. Like, ew, that's disgusting. Um, you know, and Would you eat it? <laughs> um, so I, I, I found Alex's argument there, um, a little stronger and went there, which leads us to a tie here. And I'm so, so torn because I think I have to come down to who argued the point better and the category was which pete was more lovesick and i'm going with brett on this one because brett argued more for his pete 
And Alex, yours was more of an argument for everyone. And I felt like if I'm sticking to the categories, I'm going with Brett's arguments. But Alex, you made me appreciate Crisis in the Love Zone so much more as a fan of Pete and Pete. I'll take that. Season 3 definitely needs more love. (laughs) It does. It does. Yeah, Valentine's Day does have a lot of love. It won an Ace Award for um, children's TV. And Season 3 gets a lot of um, undue criticism. And Uh, neglect because it never got its DVD release, which I will... I will curse the sky until the day I die until that thing is actually in the hands of Pete and For Pete sure. fans. For sure, yeah. But um, Alex, the points you brought up, uh, and I would love to continue to have more Pete and Pete discussions because you did the same thing for me in New Year's Pete. I went in thinking this is kind of a mid-level episode and your points brought it up a notch for me. So I appreciate these discussions quite a bit. And um, I think if, if you would have drove home the fact that this is the first time that we've seen little Pete in love. Whereas big Pete, he's always in love. There's always a love story. I think if you could have drove that home, you would have won the argument, but just a, just a technicality with those category descriptions. So that's okay. I haven't won an episode battle yet. So let me, let me <laughs> yeah, I was going to say victory. Come this on. is, this Ooh. is my first oh. loss. This was, a, this was a well-earned victory and Brett, you, um, you did a great job um, in, you know, conveying the story, which is one of the more important categories, and of course, the citizens of Wellsville. So, but both both great arguments, both uh, just a fun discussion. I'm glad you chose these two episodes. Valentine's Day Massacre wins. And. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me take that all in and and make it important. <laughs> yeah, we're so happy to have you back here and just yes. talk Pete and Pete with us. And mm-hmm. originally, I wanted to just do a Valentine's Day Massacre episode review, but I thought, wait a minute, Pete and Pete has a lot of themes that overlap. Let's just make it interesting and do an episode battle, which has you know episode yeah. review and versus components in it to really jazz things up. And it's really crazy that doing this, you see these parallels in so many ways. It's they're really similar episodes, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's cool to see it brought up. So for my ratings of uh, these two episodes, I'm going to start with Valentine's Day Massacre, and I'm going to give this one a splatulent, which is an A. And the reason for that is because I really appreciate Big Pete's growth throughout the course of this episode, uh, despite the fact that it's really the first episode that sets the tone for the entire series. So right off the bat, we know that he is a very mature character that carries the series through his narrations. I also really appreciate um, just being introduced to a cast of really interesting characters, both main and supporting. We get to see Ellen, Little Pete, that get to see Mr. Beverly, Mrs. Fingerwood, and uh, it really comes together in the end, uh, despite the problem being addressed super early in the plot with Edna being accidentally murdered by pizza stray discus it's it's an episode that i i don't necessarily revisit often but i do do it from time to time and it is one of the uh one of the episodes i actually have an art print of as a poster in my room that i constantly refer to because i could i could certainly relate to big pete's romance predicament that he had back then so you know i'd say it's one of the stronger episodes amongst the pete and pete series uh 
you know, regardless of where it's placed in the episode order. I'd also like to give for my episode review of Crisis in the Love Zone in A, which is a splat slint, uh, because I feel that even though it's not quite as mature tonally as Valentine's Day Massacre, it also has a bit of zaniness thrown into the mix now that we're in season three and things are really cartoonish with the way the acting is happening uh, for many of the episodes in season three. And this is this is the midpoint of season three, so we really get a, a well-worn groove of, of Big Pete and Little Pete's uh, characters by now and the kind of tropes and quirks that they have through their interactions with other Wellsville characters, particularly Nona, uh, who came into it uh, at the beginning of season two of the series. There, I, I, I can't really give it any more points than what I state here just because I find that the plot really does scatter all over the place and spreads itself just a little bit too thin with all the different characters that's, that's showing up, especially one-time characters, uh, for the sake of this love sickness plot that's going on, uh, started by Eunice. Although I really like Eunice Pule as a one-time mayor carrier lady. I, I kind of wish that I saw her in the call or at least one other to really establish her character and her relationship with the Peets in general. Uh, pit stain, kind of gross in this episode. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I ever want to see a meat sculpture of a girl or uh, a sunburn heart on somebody's pre prepubescent hairy-ish chest in any kind of kids television. So that's that's saying a lot for it why I wouldn't rate it higher. But I enjoy a lot of the a lot of the subtle moments where Nona's really taking in her relationship with Little P and coming into the realization that she really does care for him uh, throughout all the adventures they've had so far over the past season and a half. So I gotta I gotta give it an A as well. It's it's very enjoyable. It has a very sentimental feeling to it. We can all relate to Spring Fever hitting us at one point in our lives, and it's worth rewatching despite it being uh, a slightly lesser known season three episode, uh, especially considering the DVDs never released. All right. Well, for my ratings for these two episodes, I'm going to start with Crisis in the Love Zone. Um, I, I felt like with these, um, both these episodes kind of going in, um, sort of felt like mid-level-ish Pete and Pete. You know, I think of Valentine's Day Massacre. I think of early Pete and Pete, um, not fully developed. Um, and then with crisis in the love zone, um, you know, it, it kind of gets lost in some of the season three stuff that maybe isn't as good as seasons one or two. Um, but for crisis in love zone after today's discussion, um, I've moved it up from sort of that, um, splat bridge to a splatus factory, which is a B, um, because I really loved the points that Alex brought up with, um, with Nona being the main character and it is really a unique episode in that way. And of course it's unique because little Pete also narrates, but the fact that Nona's being part of this and that she's also, um, part of the main focus and the fact that also the development of her character where she's willing to say, I love you and no one else is. I thought that was really an amazing point that I, I didn't really put together as well that Alex brought full fledged. So I'm super excited. He mentioned that. And so because of that, I, um, I had to move it up. And then, um, as for Valentine's Day Massacre, um, you know, I, I think started with a Splatus Factory, but as we dive into it and learn to appreciate it a little better, you know, I, I moved this up to Splatsalent, which is an A, and I like Brett's points with um, the development of uh, Big Pete, but 
I mean, ultimately, I just found myself really, really loving uh, Open Face and his gang and those bullies. And that's what really like kind of put it over the top for me. Um, also, Mr. Beverly is just a fun one-off character. So, um, and I do think, you know, as we've talked about it today and, and where we're at with the with the series itself, I do think that Valentine's Day Massacre um, actually is, you know, in a lot of ways, very Pete-esque. Um, where you know it's it's definitely really tight in seasons one or two but this is the building blocks for the series and you can definitely like see it coming through uh really well in in this episode you can see a lot of the quirkiness with like a squid getting hit with a discus is is part of that strangeness that the series brings in and you know i tend to i i when i look and when i look at pete and pete I look at the four pillars that uh, Will McRobb set up, which is that uh, everything had to be funny, beautiful, sad, and strange. And so, you, you know, it's got plenty of strange with like the open face sandwich stuff and these these weird bullies, and then um, and the and the squid thing. And then you know, it's beautiful because it is a love story in a lot of ways, and um, it's sad, you know, that like Big Pete didn't really you know that love for a teacher didn't you know obviously can't and doesn't become full-fledged and also too like him and ellen are kind of left in limbo a little bit you know so there's that and of course it's uh it's funny you know uh, i laughed a lot of times when i was watching it i've i've had a really great time talking with y'all today um and just reminiscing about what was um so great about it so it, it moves up to that splatsland category for me so and I'm going to keep mine really short and sweet. Uh, so just going to our first episode, the Valentine's Day Massacre. I really liked this. I thought it was a very good uh, initial pilot because that's pretty much what it was. Uh, I don't think the story was as well woven as the later seasons, but it's the pilot. Uh, I loved the characters. I loved the bringing out the side characters really, really well. It, it's a fantastic start. So I give this a rating of A, Splatsalent. But when we get to uh, Crisis in the Love Zone for Season 3, they've really perfected this episode, the storytelling, having both Pete's have main storylines and have Nona right in the center of it to interlock those stories. I'm really impressed with this episode. Uh, it's some of the better writing and uh, some of the better equal parts for both Pete's. So I, I put this as an S up in the S tier for splatterific. Alrighty, so with that being said, let's run right into our Say What segment. Say what? Say what? Say what? Say what? So for Say What, let's uh, test our Pete and Pete trivia with these questions based on our episodes today. And I want to give a quick shout out to Manny who helped us write this segment. So I don't actually know the answers to the off these off the top of my head. Um, I would play a few, but I have to actually reveal the answer to you guys. So it's going to be Ali against Alex to mm. see who's the more Pete and Pete fan when it comes to this trivia. So uh, basically how it works is we're going to give you a bunch of questions with quotes and whoever gets it right first gets the point value. Uh, we did a little differently here where we're not doing like increased difficulty. We're just doing it two points, um, which is essentially for the person who said it. And then we have a question at the end, uh, which is worth five points to help prevent mm. it from being a tie. So starting off with quote number one, who said it? 
Yum, there's nothing like a hot liver and gravy sandwich when you're flying a kite. Oh, I know this. Allie? One would think it could be open-faced, but it is Ellen who says this. It is indeed Ellen. Good job. Two points, Allie. There's nothing like a hot liver and gravy sandwich when you're flying a kite. Question two, or quote two, who said it? Ever seen a deer hit by a car? <laughs> Alex? Uh, that was open face. That's right. Speaking of the devil, <laughs> there he is. Same two conversation. Two. Yes, yeah. it was. <laughs> they were making a conversation. I loved it. It's so random. Ever see a deer get hit by a car? <laughs> I, I love that all of his awful things were trying to be like little moments Endearing. of <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I'm trying to be nice. Do you want me to murder someone for you to show you my love? <laughs> he would do it. I know he would. He would. Yeah. Quote three. Two points. Who said it? My dad is the guy who always wanted to be a discus thrower in the Olympics. Sometimes he sneaks out at nice and pretends he's the champion of the world. Allie. Oh, that's, uh, well, Big Pete's the one saying that quote. That is correct. Your old daddy. Two points for Ellie. You see, my dad's this guy who always wanted to be a discus thrower in the Olympics. Sometimes he even sneaks out at night and pretends he's champion of the world. Quote four. Drop dead and quit breathing my air. Or I should rephrase that. Drop dead and quit breathing my air. (laughs) (laughs) Now you've given it away. Alex. (laughs) That was was Heather. (laughs) It was. Oh, man. She's a piece of work. (laughs) Uh, Drop dead and quit breathing my air. Uh, quote five, who said it? It's Pete. He's got the fever and he's going kablonkers. Allie. That was a Nona. That was Nona. Two points for you. It's Pete. He's got the fever. He's going kablonkers. Quote six. No, I can prove it. Love has changed me. Love is what makes the birds in the morning. Wakes the birds in the morning. Alex. That was pit stain. That was pit stain. Two points for you. No, I'll prove it. Love, love has changed me. Love is what wakes the birds in the morning. Uh, last question. Has anyone kept score? <laughs> We're tied. I think it's. I think it's tied. Okay, this it's going to come down to this. This is a tricky one because it's very vague. Mm. Stop that! Who said it? I, I think I know, but I'll, I'll give Allie a shot. Oh, no. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm stumped. Uh, I, I think it's the same character, but I just forgot which episode it is. But I believe it's Little Pete. You are correct. It is Little Pete. He says just, it at the, at the end when Nona's like trying to glomp oh, on him. I didn't know if it was that scene or if it was uh, the bullies uh, on the Valentine's Day Massacre. Yeah, that was a tricky one. I'm glad Manny yeah. put it in there. But um, yeah, that that's from the end scene of Crisis in the Love Zone. So congratulations, Alex. You reclaimed your title as winner of the <laughs> Say What segments after that brief dethrone in a previous episode. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, any final well done, thoughts? Allie. Yeah, well done. Oh, yeah. No uh, I had a great time. Um, final thoughts. I did have one, and I was um, I was curious to know do you find either of these the quintessential love story of the series? 
Oh. I have a different episode in mind. Yeah, I, I've got a different one, too. Me three. You want to say it okay. at the same time? See if we're all one, talking it. One, two, three. The time call. tunnel. <laughs> Who said what? What did, what, did, what, did you, what did you say, Allie? I say I think The Call is the most beautiful love story of the series. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I you forgot. Know, couldn't, a man they, who's uh, willing to wait 26 years. Yeah. I agree. I agree with that. Oops. Well, I sound like a idiot for mentioning Time Tunnel. <laughs> time Tunnel is very sweet. I, I I appreciate Time Tunnel for so many reasons. Um, but what was uh, what was the one that they were where uh, Ellen was the dot? Yeah, Day of the Dot. That was another. Day of the dot. I love that one, especially at the end when they come together and that sentimental yeah. music's playing. That that one almost gets it, but the the maturity of the way they handled the call. It's yeah, it's oh it's beautiful. Yeah, although yeah, just, time tunnels, uh, that that sweet ending does take the cake in a lot of ways too. Like it's it, it's great. It does. Plus, yeah. endless Mike is in peak performance here. Come on, no fog, no fun. <laughs> is he not in peak? Come performance? on, get in the car. He's the most <laughs> consistent character actor on that show. He's yeah, so he is. good. Yeah, yeah. And and quick nod to um open face using carrot top in valentine's day massacre which later became <laughs> uh, endless mike staple when he referred to big pete also nona calls little pete carrot top yeah and, go figure yeah, kiss me carrot top um oh real quick before we go ali do you want to share something with us that's pete and pete related yeah um so um it's been said i have a instagram account called at krebstar underscore industries where I make uh, ads for Krebstar products in the series. But last year for Valentine's Day, I made what I think are some lovely Pete and Pete Valentines about some of your favorite characters from the show, paired with some infamous lines. And um, if you go to my Instagram, they're all highlighted on my um, my highlights, and you can go through, and I've paired them with songs that I think match the, the essence of the scene. and. Uh, they're also in the main feed, so go check them out. I, I had a great time making them, and I know folks liked them when they came out. So print one off or send it DM to one of your favorite friends <laughs> or love interests and let them know how you feel in the in, in the words of Wellsville. Yeah, they're, they're so charming. I love all the work that you do, Allie. So thank you for making the Pete and Pete community a better place with your contribution. Yes. Well, I thank you. I'm happy to. And hopefully you have me back for some more Pete and Pete discussion. Won't be the I, last time. I enjoy it every time. Uh, I just want to mention real quick, in addition to the stickers I showed earlier, I did do illustrations for Crisis in the Love Zone and Valentine's Day Massacre a couple years back when I was attempting to draw every Pete and Pete episode. Uh, it is very buried in my Instagram by now because that was when I was doing my art thing. But uh, if you want to check that out, I'll just throw it up on the screen right here for each episode so you can see how they compare and my, my particular interpretation of what I consider the essence to be each episode. So if you have any thoughts on that, let us know in the comments of uh, this YouTube video or on Instagram. Uh, all right, Gakoids, let's uh, decontaminate ourselves from spring fever and head on out. But before we do, here's a closing question for you all, Slimesters. Which 90s Nick character did you have a crush on as a kid, and maybe still do? Write to us via email at splatattack2021 at gmail.com, or DM us on Instagram at splatattackpodcast. You could also subscribe to our YouTube channel at splatattackpodcast, or just interact with us wherever you feel necessary on social media. Again, thank you, Ali, so much for being here today. I uh, hope you enjoy the episode battle and our trip to the suburbs of Pete and Pete's stomping grounds. Um, 
we already mentioned before, you do Crepstar Industries on Instagram. Guys, if you love P&P, you have to check out this work. It's it's truly enjoyable and it'll hit right home if you love all the stuff that, you know, Crepstar puts out. Also, be sure to check out Ali's other podcasts, Notable Nostalgia and Dungeons and Decades. Uh, we'll put a link down below. Tune in next time, Slimesters, when we head into the Roundhouse and watch the Every Family wrestle with a hot-button topic in our episode review of Roundhouse Feminism. It's got dancing, singing, social issues, and a slew of guests returning, along with some new faces joining us for the live audience show. You don't want to miss this once-in-a-life experience here only on Splat Attack. Until then, Alex, will you drain the slime tank for us, please? I've got a date with Miss Fingerwood to paint the football field with love once we paid tribute to Edna the Fighting Squid. Aye, co-captain. Uh, just do one thing for me while you're there. Uh, what's that? Stay off the line! <laughs> Oops. My bad. <laughs> Ugh, I got paint on my shoes now. Gross. <laughs> Splash you later, Slimesters. Bye. Reprise the theme song and roll the credits. <laughs> It's time for me to go. I'm glad that's over. Now for a peaceful night's sleep. Well, that's it for now. Yeah, we gotta catch a train. Since I'm going home, you can't my arts and crafts project. It's a tweezer holder. All right, guys. Let's go fuck. How long have we been away? <laughs> See you soon. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. And the birds singing their little... Chirpity chirp chirp chirpity chirpity chee. It's spring, and that means love is in the air. I told myself it didn't matter. Once I gave my Valentine to Miss Fingerwood, all my troubles would be over. It was mail carrier Eunice Pule. She didn't just carry letters in her bag, she carried the fever. How could you possibly be in love with Miss Fingerwood?